My name is Dr. Brent Hambrick, and I'm the director of Med Missions, and I've been a missionary in Central America, living there full-time for eight years. I'm kind of on furlough now, kind of integrating some of my older children. They're starting university, and so I wanted them to have a little time in the North America, acclimatizing, so I'm here stateside. But I have done literally hundreds of short-term medical missions trips with a variety of organizations and then with my own. I work with the Christian Medical and Dental Society of Honduras, which is different than the Christian Medical Dental Society of the United States. And they continue, even in my absence, doing about 80 short-term medical missions trips, the nationals reaching their own nationals in medically underserved areas. And it's a great way to reach people with the gospel. In healthcare missions, there you can do a lot for a little bit of people, or you can do a little for a lot of people, and both have their place in the Bible. Uh, doing a lot for a little are the people that come in with maxillofacial surgery teams, and they will operate on just seven patients all week long, and that's all they'll see. And then they'll come back in months later and do the second stage of the surgery, and then months later and do the third stage of the surgery, and they're pouring out enormous amounts of research for a very few people, and there's biblical uh, evidence for doing non-cost-effective ministry, and that's when the, the prostitute came in and anointed to Jesus' feet, and the disciples' argument was, don't do that, that's not cost-effective ministry, and Jesus said, no, don't stop her, it's a beautiful thing, and so there's some things in missions where it's not as cost-effective, but it's a beautiful thing, and the maxillofacial surgery teams are an, ed, an, an, an example of that. There's also where you do a little for a lot, and that's really important, too, because when we go out on a medical brigade, we do medical screenings for all the people. We treat their acute diseases, and we do a little bit for everybody. We take the lice out of the girls' hairs and the worms out of the boys' bellies, and we give everybody the gospel. And this is more effective in the aspect of the missions part of health missions because there are over 7 billion people on the planet who haven't uh, known about Jesus Christ, and we have to let them all know about the gospel, all 7 billion people. And so we have to do something that does something nice for people and, and is an opportunity to share the gospel with them. The advantages of short-term medical missions is it allows you to reach underserved medically and spiritually people, and there's a mindset that says the only way you should do missions is if you do it in hospitals or in clinics and you have some sort of longitudinal care system, and I would definitely disagree with that because everybody in their lifetime deserves a health screening. You can come out with a short-term medical mission strip in a place they don't have a doctor, don't have a dentist, and you can screen everyone to see if they have hypertension, and you can screen everyone to see if they have diabetes, and those that do have hypertension and diabetes, you can start them on their medication and make sure that they understand their disease process and that they need follow-up and continuing care. Also, wherever we go, we always find these 10-year-olds that still have their congenital inguinal hernias. They need to be screened. They need references so they can get into surgeons. And you need to make your short-term medical team so that it has an impact far beyond the week that you're there with them. That's the advantage. It, it helps reach the unserved areas. Also, it's great for church planning, and we work strategically. We're a non-denominational and interdenominational organization. We work strategically with the local pastors, and we say, where are you going to be planting churches? And we go out and we do medical brigades there. It's really hard for a national pastor to start a church in a place where there aren't any Christians. He gets a lot of door slammed in his face, and health missions facilitates that because we come with doctors, dentists, optometrists, and instead of having door slammed in this new pastor's face, he has a long line of people that line up, and the very first stage after registration is spiritual counseling evangelism, and he has the opportunity to share the love of the Lord Jesus Christ with every person that comes along, and it's a wonderful thing. 
So the advantages are both uh, medical and spiritual. The purpose of the talk today is I want to train you in how to actually do this. I know there's a lot of young people in here that want to do missions, and I want to teach you the nuts, bolts, and duct tapes, that is, the details of how to pull it off, what are the best medicines, where to get the best medicines, if for people to come to you, for a thousand people to come to you, what medicines do you need and how many pills of each medicine and where's the best place to get those. I want to teach you all the details and best practices, the best materials, the best practices, and the best prices of the materials. We'll start at airlines, and you're going to have a team going. You'll need to get airline tickets to get them to the country of destination. You can do this through the Internet. There's uh, Travelocity, Orbitz, a lot of companies like that that you can go through on the Internet. There's also travel agencies. Uh, Raptum and MTS Travel are both here. In my uh, table of contents on my um, handout that I gave you, on page 28 is a list of some of the travel agents with their numbers. You can get everything on this handout is on my website at medmissions.org. Medmissions.org, the website, is designed to have all the information, including my forms, downloads. You can get my illiteracy labels, my medical chart, my dental chart. Everything you hear in the talk today you can download off of my website. It's a, it's a source for people that are wanting to do missions or are already doing missions that want to improve the quality of their missions so you don't have to reinvent any wheels that you can already use the forms that I've already created. And they're in PDF form. You can just print them off and, and take them to a printer. So you use travel agents. You can call the airlines directly. They have group travel parts uh, in the airlines. You can call them and negotiate your tickets. You have to have over 12 people to qualify for group airline discounts with the airlines directly. Luggage specifications, again, on page 29 in the handout are the luggage specifications for American, United, Continental, and Delta, the big airlines that are flying out. These are complex and ever-changing, but basically your carry-on can be 45 inches, height, width, and depth, up to 40 pounds. Checked luggage varies. Domestically now, usually they don't let you have any bags to Latin America, it's usually one bag. If you go as far to Asia, they have up to two bags. They vary a little bit. They've cut down from 70 pounds to 50 pounds with most airlines. There are still some destinations that allow 70 pounds, so they're there on page 29. Like I say, the airlines are constantly changing these. On my website, it has a link, and you just pressed on the link, and it's best to go to the airline's luggage website to, to, to verify that. Also, you need to verify with the airlines. Sometimes they have box embargoes where anything basically that's rectangular or square looking, whether it's cardboard or not, they have an embargo, and you have to have a canvas carrier to, to have that on with handles to be able to get it in. So you need to check not only the specification, but during the time you're flying, is there a box embargo so you can make your appropriate adjust adjustments before you show up to check in. The best way to travel for normally is Conoco Foot Lockers. It is the best thing. They're height, width, and length of 61 inches, which comes under the 62-inch regulation. They're waterproof. They have strong metal latches. It's the best thing going. Uh, and I use these whenever we go up on mule packs. A mule, many of you are wondering probably how much can I pack a mule with when they go up. A donkey or a mule can handle about 200 pounds, but you know they have those V-shaped saddles and you have to load it equally. Some of the generators we have are over 100 pounds, so basically any one item over 100 pounds you can't take because you have to pack it equally on both sides of the V-shaped saddle that the mules or burros are using. You can't just put it on top because it doesn't balance well. You put the two Conoco foot lockers, which have to be under 50 to 70 pounds, and it has a little be there that you can put cots and stuff and they cinch this down and you can take meal packs up if you do meal packs like I do. 
You can also be canoeing into the jungles. The Conoco Footlocker is great for that too. It is waterproof, and you put it down in the middle of these dugout canoes with the little 40-horse Yamaha motors, that they call them tuk-tuks in Honduras because they go tuk-tuk-tuk-tuk-tuk down the river. And uh, you can sit on those and provide you a place to see, plus it keeps all your materials dry. The Conoco Footlocker is the way it go. It only costs between $20 and $30 at Walmart. And with your teams, you need to give them travel health guidelines. The Center for Disease Control is authoritative on travel health guidelines. I recommend that on your team level you put the link to it so that they can go to whatever country you're going to, Latin America, Asia, Africa, and they have for each country, it's country-specific, the immunizations they need, the malaria prophylaxis they need, it's all on there. And put a link. One time I made the mistake of just cutting and pasting, and some of my team members say, uh, Dr. Hamburg, are you sure you wanted just to be sure and bring our condoms on this trip, you know, to prevent HIV? And I said, no, 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 that's not for you guys. That's just for the normal tourists. And uh, so I just put a link because I don't want to alter for medical legal reasons the CDC recommendations, but they need to know the recommendations at the same time. Talking about working with nationals, that's really important. They're going to be the ones that are there. They're promoting the event. You don't want to go in just as a North American team and come out as a North American team. Everything you want to do, both medically, dentally, optometry, and then spiritually, need to be connected in with the nationals because it's not about going and making converts. It's about going and making disciples for Christ, right? That's the Matthew 28 verse. Go and make disciples. It doesn't say anything about converts. So to do that, you have to work with the local churches so that you can... Uh, the new converts have a context that they can go in and become disciples of Christ and they can learn about the word of God. They'll promote your event. They'll make sure people show up. They can get the temporary licensures for your physicians and dentists. They give you permission to import medications from the Department of Pharmacy and the government. And they can purchase the medicines that you can't get locally. For example, I can get... Uh, and asthma inhalers for about a dollar each or less than a dollar each, but because it's classified as a non-flammable gas, the shipping cost cost me $10 per inhaler. So it's not cost-effective for me to bring in asthma inhalers, but I have to have them. The nationals buy those locally for me, and they get the best prices for me. And the local pastors, they do the evangelism, as I mentioned, the importance of follow-up also. They help you with the logistics. Your team will need food, lodging, in-country transportations. They help with all those things. Okay, so the first item in your line is the registration. It goes registration, then triage, and then it goes to spiritual counseling evangelism, and then it goes to one of the stations of service, medical, dental, or optometry, and then the last uh, station is pharmacy. And this should proceed in a logical fashion so they're not ping-ponging back and forth so that it's intuitive the next station they go to so they don't accidentally end up standing in the wrong line for several hours. The lines you're going to get are tremendous if you go to these places that don't have a doctor or a dentist or an optometrist. They're just very needy people. This is an example of one of the lines. And I recommend that you give out numbered charts. You can create chaos and a riot if you don't give out numbered charts. So have your charts. I'm going to give you an example of it, and you can download it on my website on PDF form. Give numbered charts, one through whatever you can see. If your team's able to see 500 charts, then you number 500 charts. If you can see 1,000 charts, see 1,000 charts. And you really kind of need to know about how fast each doctor is. You'll better know that. So you underguess your first day so that you don't give out too many charts. And then see about the speed of your physicians and dentists and how, what volume they can accommodate. But you don't give out more charts than you can see. And you do that at the very first thing at the beginning of the day before registration. What you don't want is just not giving out charts, and I've seen this happen before in missions, and then people wait in the hot Central American or African sun eight to ten hours, and at the end of the day, 
they're told, sorry, we can't see you, and that's not fair, it's not just, and it's not the way our Lord would have us do a medical brigade. Give out numbered charts, and then once you've given out your last one, tell the rest of the people, thank you for coming, sorry, we can't see everybody, but it's better to give that message at the beginning of the day than after they've been waiting in the sun all, all day long, and I'll talk to you a little bit more about how to do that culturally. So don't give more charts than you can see. Some cultures allow elderly and pregnant women to go first. Latin America is that way. They're very courteous toward the elderly and the pregnant women. In North America, you'll notice there's not a special line for the elderly and pregnant. They just have to form the line with everybody else. We have no cultural sensitivity to people that are feeble. And then one service per patient. If you had 900 people show up, you would rather be able to give the gospel to all 900. Instead of giving three services to 300 people, you'd rather give one service to 900 people. And that's the idea if you have a really overwhelming response limited to one service per patient. If you don't have an overwhelming response, you can allow them to take as many charts as they want. And when you limit one service per patient, you need to be really cautious about dental. People will naturally gravitate toward medical, and they'll grab away, gravitate away from anything that involves needles like dental. Everybody's afraid of dentists, yet they desperately need dental care. And so if you're underfilling dental... <coughs> Just take the dental charts and say, hey, we've got some extra dental charts here, and you can give charts to two people if they absolutely refuse to go to dental, and sometimes that happens. Let's talk about having free dental, medical dental service versus charging for it, and the Bible says, freely you have received, freely give, right? So we ought to have all of our brigades free. Well, that's one way of thinking about it. I want to talk to you another way of thinking about it. You can charge, and when we do charge brigades, it's where we have overwhelming lines, and we need a filter. And sometimes, I don't know if you've been on any short-term medical brigades, but sometimes you feel like, wow, every kid I'm seeing is well. And the mom says they're incredibly sick, but they're really well. Well, if you have the price of a Coke, we'll say 50 cents U.S., and you charge that, and the mom's going to come with all of her kids, all seven, whether they're sick or not, because she can't leave the babies at home, right? And if it's free, she'll say, well, let's put all seven in. If you have a charge of just 50 cents, she'll say, well, just this one, this one, and this one are sick. The other four are okay. They don't need to come in. And so it's good in that it acts as a filter for your physicians in that you're only being able to see the sick people, and that's a good thing because if you have to turn away people, you want to turn away the people that are well, not the people that are sick. We give this money. We do not keep any of this money. We give it to the local pastor. And there's a way to make it so that no one who, who ha so that anyone does not have the 50 cents, they still can come in. You tell the registration if someone does not have the 50 cents that they talk to the pastor. We give this 50 cents each to the pastor, and he's able to use that. And so the registration lady says, Pastor, this guy doesn't have 50 cents. He's too poor. And the pastor fills out a bill worth U.S. 50 cents and gives it to the guy. And you've just made a, a friend for the kingdom of God. And no one has been prevented from getting into the medical dental service. And that's what you don't. You don't want it to be a barrier to care. You just want it to be a filter for your care. And that's the way that we do it. At the end of the brigade, we had the pastor use this for unmet need. And I remember one brigade we had, and we had a guy that was a BKA amputee, and he had to hobble around on crutches. The pastor and his friends decided to use that money to buy a new appendage for this guy, an artificial leg, so that he didn't have to use crutches anymore. The money that we took served as a filter, and it helped met meet the unmet medical need that we could have not otherwise have provided this guy with an artificial appendage. So it seemed to be a win-win situation. The disadvantage is, is the money is root of all kinds of evil. All kinds of things can go wrong whenever you charge that money. So those are just things that you have to think about. I understand the philosophies of both sides. You just have to choose. 
Okay, it has to be administered by the locals. Whenever you, as a North American, go up there and the first person that says, gee, I'm too poor to pay, and you say, aw, come on in, you know, we're just here to love you guys, then every other person behind them will say, I'm too poor to pay, I'm too poor to pay, I'm too poor to pay, if you're having a fee service. That's why it's important to have nationals there who know everybody, and they say, oh, get out of here, you're not poor, you own the gas station in town, you know. They're just like us when we go to... To Salvation Armies or whatever, we, we want to pay less or garage sales. They're just like us. And so you have to have it administered by the locals. They understand the language better and they can fill out the forms better and they know who has uh, financial need and those that are well off in the community. Whenever you go out in the morning after you've given out charges, you need to bring, bring a big bag of consolation prizes. And the consolation prize is a bag of 30 medicines in a literacy labeling form. Uh, my price point for vitamins is 5000 costs less than $22. So basically for nothing, you go around and all the people that are at line that are disappointed, you say, thanks so much for coming. Here's a bag of 30 vitamins. You know, we love you and just... Give them a consolation prize so that they go away with something, and, and that kind of buffers the blow at the beginning of the day. Here's the medical dental chart, and this happens at registration. You have the name, the age, the address, and the chief complaint. It's really important to fully fill out the address, not the name of the town, because they won't have street addresses in the third world, so they have to give a very detailed paragraph-type explanation of where they live. I live two houses north of the grocery store Karen or something like that. And because we have to be able to find these people. And then note there's some hieroglyphic letters down at the bottom, the AC, the J, and the R. The AC means that they're already Christian, and they fill these out in evangelism. They circle it. If they're already Christian before coming to the brigade, the J means that they accepted Christ Jesus during the brigade, and the R means that they reconciled with Christ sometime during the brigade. And so this is the, the system of follow-up that we use so that at the end of the brigade, when all the forms go through the brigade, at the end, we collect them, pull out the R's and J's, we give those to the local pastor, and that's how the new spiritual uh, beings are integrated into the church for discipleship. And whenever they're going through the brigade, if they have the AC uh, circled already, they know in, in, in each stage in medical, dental, and optometry, there's no need to share the gospel again that they're already a Christian. But if nothing is circled, then we know that they're pre-Christian still and they need to hear the good news of the gospel. And here's the dental chart. It has the baby teeth and the adult teeth. And like I say, you can download these on PDF forms on my website. There's an example of it in your handout also. And then you go to evangelism after registration. Everybody in our brigade needs to hear about the good news of what Christ has done for us. And that's kind of the setup. You can do it in one-on-one -on -one or small groups. If you have a local pastor, oftentimes small groups is best. But if he has a really well-organized, mature church, you can do one-on-one. -on -one. It just takes a lot of people. So you do small groups, groups of 15 to 30, and give a concise presentation of the gospel, which is hard for local pastors, especially if they're Latin, to get their arms around that we need a 15 to 20 minute, you know, presentation of the gospel they want to preach on forever. And then you can do it in different ways. There's the four spiritual laws. There's uh, evangelism explosion. You look at these types. They're on my website, and they're in English and Spanish. And look at how the current methods are, and then you can kind of tweak it and personalize it in a way to present the gospel yourself. Also bring Christian literature. And in my website, there's a form on Christian literature, too. Cheap places 
to get Bibles. And I think for everyone that rededicates their life to Christ or becomes a Christian for the first time, they need a New Testament in their own language in their hand, and that's our goal of what we do. Also, you can buy tracts, and you can kind of pass those out during the brigade, and that's okay too. And then I've talked about the spiritual follow-up, that at the end we give all the J's and R charts to the local pastor, and then they start the real work of knocking on doors and inviting them in to be a part of the local church. After spiritual counseling, they go to triage. And in spiritual counseling, we have the pastor sign the right lower quadrant of the chart just to make sure that people aren't line skipping because everybody's going to want to run to the dentist or want to run to the optometrist, and they're not going to want to go get vital signs and do the spiritual counseling station. So we want to make sure that they go through each station of the, the brigade. We get the weight, the pulse, the blood pressure, respirations, temperature, and pulse socks. You can get a, a finger pulse oximeter for less than $100. I consider it one of my most important vital signs. It helps me determine who's just got a cold and who has pneumonia. The people with low pulse ox, you really want to listen closely to their lungs to make sure that they don't have a pneumonia. The nursing suitcase we take, too, we have some materials in there. You want a small lab. The lab we take on our brigades that's quick and easy is three things, a glucometer, a pregnancy test, and a urine dip, and that allows you to have neat information for the brigade. It doesn't take a lot of calibrating, and it's an easy, low-tech way to go. We also take a nebulizer in case someone has an acute exacerbation of asthma. We can give them breathing treatment. We have dressing materials. There's a lot of skin infections in the third world, and hygiene is an issue in the third world. And we have something to make splints. It always never fails that somebody will get booked off, bucked off their horse or their burrow, and they'll have a collie's fracture, and we can splint or cast that. You must only take plaster bandages in the third world, never the fiberglass bandages, because a plaster bandage, someone that's up in the mountains that doesn't have a doctor in their area, they can put the plaster bandage in a bucket of water or the river, and it will dissolve and it will melt away and it will get soft and they can cut it off. Fiberglass is always hard, and they have to cut it off with a machete. I've seen a third world guy doing that, and that is some places you want to go. But imagine that this person is never going to have access to a cast saw what is the best practice, and plaster bandages are the best practice there. Medical, only do mainstream medicine, no acupuncture, hypnotism, unproven herbal therapies, we're all thinking. And just let your team know that you want to do nothing controversial, that you just want to stay mainstream on this medicine because the gospel is controversial enough. And the surgery you do, only do it if you can manage the complications. You always need a local physician. You need to integrate into the local medical community and the local spiritual community. Always have someone that can manage the complications. And you can do ditzel surgery, nothing fascia violating, unless you have an operating room and access to an operating room. And sometimes we do. We use the local operating rooms. I was in Haiti just this earlier this year, and there was we had a pediatric surgeon. There was a girl that got hit in the head with a rock and had a depressed skull fracture. They took her to the OR. They were able to do the neurosurgical procedure, elevate the skull, repair the skin, and they, they did a beautiful job and did great, great help for her. But you have to be able to have somebody that they do follow-up with. You can't just leave post-operative patients without follow-up. And then references. There are going to be medical surgical needs that can't be met within your medical brigade. They need references with that country stamp on it so that they can get the follow-up that they need. Pharmaceuticals, I'm going to talk about medical providers, labeling, and dispensing, and an ideal formulary, and that's a tricky thing. Here's some of the uh, manufacturers, the IDA, it's based in Amsterdam, Echo, Blessings International, MAP, King Pharmaceutical. 
Uh, MAP is good. They have these little MAP travel packs, and basically it's donated medicine that they give to you for free. They have a handling fee. I found that the handling fee is oftentimes more than I can just buy the medicines with from the IDA or other sources, and so you need to compare prices. King Pharmaceutical is a wonderful place. They donate 10% of everything they make to missions. So you call uh, Hart Yunkinelli, the person in charge of their benevolence wing. You get certified as a certified medical brigade. And then they will send you out monthly a list of the things that they're donating. You send them in your desires list, and then they mail it to you. And it comes in with your list, and you can't beat free. And King Pharmaceutical, every, they're Christian brothers that run it. Every one of their divisions is Christian name. It's got Monarch and King Pharmaceutical, and, and it's really a neat place, and they're good folks. And then InMed and MedFarm, and our representative for MedFarm is here, and she'll, you can write her, and she'll give you a, a cost analysis of the medicines that you get from them. Uh, give you some sample costs with the IDA. You can get Tylenol 500 milligrams, 1,000 tabs for less than $5.00. Multivitamins, 5,000 tabs, less than $22. You get amoxicillin for less than $19 per thousand. And mabendazole, 100 milligrams, which is an antiparasitic medicine, you can get 1,000 tabs for less than $6. And to do it on large scales like we do it, my infrastructure in Latin America sees over 40,000 patients a year. You have to use the discount pharmaceuticals. You can't pay full market costs for anything. That's why I'm here, to get you the best stuff at the best price. It's better to copy genius than create mediocrity, so listen to what I'm saying. And then whenever you dispense the medicines, you realize that you're going to be going into places that I go into places by mule pack and canoe. Over 50% of the population is illiterate. And so you have to have literacy labeling because they don't know how to read your directions. And so these you can get for about $2 per thousand from the IDA. They're literacy labeling bags. They have a picture of a rising sun for the morning, a midday sun, a setting sun, and a moon. So that if somebody needs to take their medicine BID, you check the rising sun and the setting son and an illiterate person knows how to take their medicine and they don't have to memorize which pill is which because they're all white pills after a while to them and it has a whole pill a half pill a quarter pill a capsule a teaspoon and a dropper it has instructions in this one has portuguese english and spanish but they also have it french english and spanish is the more common one you can request which one you have they're cheap as dirt, and they're plastic Ziplocs so that if you're in a tropical climate with heavy rains, the patient doesn't get home with a handful of wet pills in a paper bag. They have dry medicine. They know how to take it. And there are systems you can use if a mom comes in with seven kids. And, uh, gee, they just all look the same after a while. I've seen brigades, they have different colored yarns and different colored markers, and they'll put an orange yarn around one kid's wrist, and then they'll put orange marker on the bag so that the mom knows which pill belongs to which kid if the mom is illiterate. That's just another secret trick that you can use. Okay, components for the label. This is one of the literacy labeling that you can download in PDF form off of my website in case you can't order from some of the pharmaceuticals. You can just, I have a vaginal suppository literacy labels, oral medicine literacy labels, and topical medicines literacy labels on my PDF forms. And I think there's some examples of it in your handout here too. Every script needs the medicine name, the number of tablets, the patient name, 
the instructions in their native language, Spanish, French, Portuguese, whatever country you're going to, and the instructions in the literacy labeling. Those five things every prescription needs to have. And here's an example of the uh, handout for the vaginal suppository. You take it at night, you wash your hands before, you place the suppository, and then wash your hands afterwards. And then the... Uh, the uh, instructions in Spanish, and then the topical form, too. Like I said, you can download them on medmissions.org. Everything is free and public domain on my website. Uh, ideal formulary, and this is the trick. Per 1,000 people that come, how do you know which pills to bring and how many pills of each pill to bring so that they all run out at the same time because you can bring way too much medicine if you don't know those ratios. And because I've done this over a decade, I've already worked out those ratios, and I have them. It's on my website. It's also on page 7 of your handout if you want to look at that. And it has the 50 most necessary medicines. Please don't go out and do a brigade with just 10 or 12 medicines. Do a nice brigade. You know, have something in hypertension. We have a diuretic, an ACE inhibitor, and a beta blocker. You can pretty much treat every class of hypertension with those three classes of medicines. And uh, we have the diabetes medicine. Everything we have for chronic disease, they can get cheaply in their country. And that's what you want. You don't want to bring hypertensive and diabetes medicine that cost over a dollar pill. It's not realistic for them to continue on that medicine. You want to start them on the medicine that they have in country so that they continue with the same medicine without interruption of their care. And uh, they're in the correct proportions with this formulary if you do it from the places that I do it from. Averaging three scripts per patient, you can give a price point of less than a dollar per patient for their medication costs. That's really important if you're seeing 40,000 patients a year like I'm doing. And notably absent from my formulary are infectious disease long-term medicines. There's no HIV antiretrovirals. There's no TB medicines, and there's no cutaneous leishmaniasis medicines. What you don't want to do is give somebody a handful of pills for tuberculosis and say, follow up. They might think that this handful of pills is going to cure them. They need at least three to four months of tuberculosis therapy. All you're going to do is, is bring drug resistance. The same thing with cutaneous leishmaniasis. The treatment is... Uh, Anemonium compounds, IM or IV, for 28 consecutive days. You don't want to give them one char shot and have them follow up, and they think, well, I've got my shot, I'm cured. So don't get into some things. Governments are given gazillions of dollars to treat their tropical diseases and their communicable diseases from the... USAID and things like that, and they have infectious disease control programs. They need the knowledge that they have tuberculosis and they have cutaneous leishmaniasis and they have AIDS so that they can get into a program run by the government. You need to know the limits of your short-term missions brigade. Okay, I'm going to talk about prepacking. This is one way. Consistently on your medical brigade, the station with the longest lines is going to be the pharmacy. Here's a way to take volume off of the pharmacies. The most common medications, Tylenol, antacids, uh, warming medicines, bimbendazole, albendazole, and vitamins. Prepack those and have some of those at the desk. So if a mom comes in and says, my kid's okay, they just have worms in their stool, you give them an anti-worm medicine and a vitamin, and boom, they're out. And you've taken a patient off the volume of the pharmacy and makes things run smoother. Laboratory. Keep it simple is the best thing here. Like I say, the three things I put in my mobile labs are urine dips, urine pregnancy tests, and glucometers. If you wanted to get increasing complexity and you had someone capable and called of doing it, you add pap smears. And it's, it's a very cost-effective, cheap intervention. It doesn't, the materials don't cost a lot. The fixative doesn't cost a lot, and the glass slides don't cost a lot. This requires good follow-up, though. You have to have a national woman working in the pap clinic that – 
is going to go through every single patient with you, and they're going to go over the chart, and they're going to know exactly how to get to that person's home because a lot of times they live up in the mountains and trails, and they'll say, you know, you've got to go up three miles in that trail and turn left at the big mango tree. And she knows where the big mango tree is, but she has to know how to follow this patient. There's nothing worse than getting abnormal cancerous paps and knowing you could save a person's life, but you can't find them. So you have to have a national woman that's going to be doing your follow-up. And you can also do pathology. If you see something that needs a biopsy, you can take a biopsy. It requires taking some formaldehyde and specimen cups. And again, you need the telephone number. If they don't have a telephone number, they need a neighbor's telephone number. It's amazing how the, the, everyone in Latin America and the third world will have telephones. Somebody will have a telephone that they know. I see commonly people living in huts that are made out of straw and mud dirt floors, and they have a cell phone. I don't know how that works, but communication is a primal human need because I see it happen all the time. And uh, you need the address, and you need pastoral help, someone to go find these people. There's a wonderful guy, and he's here. His name's Dr. Bill Walker. He has international pathology services. You can take your pap smears. You can take your path specimens. You come back to America, put them in a box. You drop them in the mail to International Path Services. It goes to Bill Walker. He does all the path for you, basically for free, just charges you a nominal fee for materials that he uses to fix them and prepare them. And then he has a secure website, and he emails you, and it has all your specimens, the names, the place it was taken from, and the results of those. And you can give that to your national. They can download it. They can enter the website. That's a secure PDF website from Latin America through the Internet, or you can just email them the results either way. But it's a great way and very cost-effective to do pathology on short-term missions trips. If you wanted to add yet another uh, level, you could add a microscope. This requires that you have someone that's called and willing to go with you that's a lab tech because doing a manual CBC is not easy. They have to count these little uh, boxes, how many red cells are in each one, but you can get a CBC. It's very time-consuming, and you can do manual web preps to see if it's trick or chlamydia or yeast infections that the woman has causing her vaginal discharge. You can also go up to automated lab. I'm one of the few humans on the globe that has done automated laboratory, full automated laboratory in a mobile setting. I was medical director of this organization that had this big medical bus that had an operating room and a recovery room and a full medical lab and an x-ray unit. Let me tell you what I learned from that experience. Automated labs were not designed to be in mobile settings because the only thing worse than getting no lab results is getting inaccurate lab results. They weren't designed to be bouncing around in the third world because they get all of valve calibration. And they aren't designed to go through extremes of temperature, to be really hot, and then you turn the air conditioning on in the big bus and it cools it down. Lab equipment is not designed to function that way. Lab equipment that's automated was designed to be in stable clinics, stable hospitals. The guy to do it, though, is Ed Boss. He's the high priest of medical laboratory. Call him. He'll go. He'll set up your lab. He'll get your reagents. He'll, he'll do all of your systems for you. He's all about it, and he's at the brigade uh, at our conference here. He's got a booth over there. Okay, we're going to talk about dental now. We're going to talk about the drills, the chairs, the compressors, the generators, the autoclaves, the cavitrons, the dental sterilization, and best practices and best prices for everything. I have give, bought over a dozen different styles of drills, and my national dentists say that this is the best thing as far as its durability and its functionality. It's the ADEC drill. It goes at market retail for about thirty-five dollars to $4,000. The Rotodent Scholarship, which there's a Rotary Club in Eugene, Oregon, that will scholarship this, 
for only $1,725. That's including the hand pieces. It has a high speed, a low speed, some contra angles. There's over $500 of hand pieces in this, and it's a great deal. It comes in this hard case, carrying case, so if you're going around in four-wheel drive pickups or big school buses like I and it's bouncing around, it's really durable, and it's the best thing going as far as portable dental drills. Here's another idea from Aseptico. It uh, is more compact, and this is good for if you're going up on mule packs where you can't take a big generator with you because it can go off with a small Honda generator that can go on the, the Conoco foot lockers. And it's got its own little compressor in there, and it's got uh, a low speed and a high speed. is $2,750. A good dental chair is the Acepta chair. Weighs about 30 pounds, comes with a travel pack. They also make a hard-sided case that I like even better, made for military applications. It's about $1,500, kind of pricey. And uh, here is the iTech dental chair. It's 23 pounds. It's less than $1,000. It's the lightest thing as far as good dental chairs. The neat thing about the iTech chair is that it comes with backpack straps so that if you're not going with meal packs like me and you're just carrying it on your back, you can carry this up the mountain. So that's a neat thing. The disadvantage to this particular chair is that some of its components, specifically its hinges, are made out of plastic. And I go through a lot of bouncing and beating up, and a plastic hinge breaks, I can't get it fixed because to ship it back to iTech in Florida and get it repaired, ship it back, I might as well build a new chair. It either needs to be so darn good it's immortal or so cheap it's disposable, and the iTech chair doesn't meet either of those qualifications, so go with the Acepta chair. There's also a chair that is advertised by Bell Dental. He's got his booth here that is about $800 that looks totally aluminum metal component without plastic parts. It looks very durable. I don't have personal experience with it, but it comes in at a good price point, so I'd recommend evaluating that for a dental chair. You can also just get one of those beach chairs that's got the... Uh, it's not one that tips over easily. It's for, like, fishing, and those come in at under $100, and those are good for dental chairs also. Let's talk about compressors. Uh, if you're me and you have stationary stuff in Honduras and I have a big bus, I get this 5,000-watt generator, and I put it in the back of my big bus. If you need to come into something with suitcases, the Aseptico Airpack 2, it's thin and narrow, so it'll fit in a suitcase. It weighs 42 pounds. It comes under the 50-pound requirement, and it's about $1,700. Gen Air also makes a thin portable one, and I just wanted to mention that for completeness. Portable generators that are under 50 pounds, the 100,000-watt, if you need to bring your generator in again, this is a good one to do it, and it'll run the uh, Aseptico drill. It will not run the ADEC drill, however, and it costs under $1,000. You can hand-scrape dental cleanings, but... I would really recommend getting a Cavitron. This, in my opinion, is the best Cavitron. They have these kind of missionary-made, funky homemade Cavitrons where you get, like, you know, those bug sprayers. You know, you got a little point and you pump it, and you can do that, and it can blow air and stuff like that. This just uses electricity. It's very compact. The water source is beneath it, and it's worth the $1,630 that it costs to not manually scrape. It's less traumatic to the teeth. And then you have dental sterilization. When you go to some place without... Um, electricity, you have to do cold sterilization. Remember, you only get high-grade disinfection after 30 minutes. You have to lay it in there 30 minutes, so you have to have a, a watch and a timed, and it goes bing, and then you know to transfer it to the rinse cycle after it's had a sterilization cycle. Realize that it's not complete sterilization. It's just high-grade disinfection. It does get some organization like 
mycobacteria may even enter cellular life. So if you have big HIV populations, you might rethink the whole cold sterilization idea. Do heat sterilization whenever you can. Obviously, if you have to wait six to eight hours to uh, sterilize your cow horns, uh, you use it once in the brigade, and then you can't use it again until tomorrow. And so if you're seeing big volumes, cold sterilization really won't get you where you want to go. We have moved to heat sterilization when when at all possible we can, when at all possible is electricity. The most efficient, smallest, best autoclave that we've found is the Prestige Classic Autoclave. It fits in a Conoco footlocker, which everything we have has to do. It's got a 30-minute cycle. It's completely automatic. You start it. It gets up to the proper heat. It sterilizes it for 30 minutes, and then it indicates when the 30-minute cycle is over and encourages you to vent it. You vent it and then take the top off. It's only $760. For completeness, I give these old-style big clunker autoclaves that are a little bit cheaper at 710 The one on the right, you have to have a hot plate to do. It's basically a pressure cooker, but you have to watch the pressure. Somebody has to babysit this baby. The one on the left has its own heating element, but the tops are hard to get off, and it's kind of messy. Go with the Prestige autoclave. Okay, the one thing you can guarantee yourself is that the electricity is going to go out in the third world. You know, in Y2K, I was there during year 2000. We call it the reverse Y2K because it's the only day electricity did not go out. So electricity never fails. You get the carry open and electricity will go out. You need to carry these materials with you, which is a way to fill a cavity when you've run out of electricity and if you don't have your own generator. They have the, the, the silver pills and then the, the liquid silver, and you mix them together and you mix it up in a mortar and pestle. You can close a posterior with that. And then they have self-curing resins by right dent that has a catalyst paste and a resin. You mix them together for one of your anteriors. You put it on there. It's hard to work with. The dentists don't like it, but you can fill an open carry when your electricity goes out. This is just my little emergency pack that I have. Packing, I've already told you how much I love the Contico foot locker. You can put it in the floor of a canoe. It functions as a seat. It's airline specifications. It goes on the back of mules. It's wonderful. And the way I do pharmacy storage, you do not even try to do a pharmacy with 50 different products. I have one product in my formulary, and that is my formulary list that I gave you. I can get that in two Contico foot lockers, and I order five metric tons of medicine at a time. I do big volume, and I can stack these things in one accessory bedroom as high as I can reach, which for me is seven, so most of you guys could probably go eight high. But basically, you go floor to ceiling. They stack well. Whenever you go brigade, you're going to see a 1,000 people. You take one set off. If you're going to see 2,000, you take two sets off. It's completely modular. You have bits and pieces. You give those to the Christian clinics and hospitals around. You don't do inventory. Nothing goes out of date. And that's the trick is it is almost sin to let medicine go out of date. So you use what you can. The bits and pieces you donate to people that can use them and you bless them. Dental materials, the high priest of dental missions is Ron Lamb. He's based in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. He orders excess from the dental supply company. He's got a whole warehouse of stuff. If you do a dental brigade and you for your disposables, your needles, your carpels of lidocaine, your gauze, your amalgams, resins, all your disposables, and now that in med missions we do, we have dental x-rays, so we do root canals in places that they don't even have electricity. We go up in mule pack and do root canals. It's really cool. You ought to come and try it out sometime. But he gives us all the root canal stuff that we need, the files, the materials, and he's really the best guy going. I want to talk about optometry a little bit. 
methods of diagnosis and places to get stuff. First of all, you're going to be going to literacy illiterate areas. You can download a Snellen chart for free off of my website, but you want to use a literate chart. There's two main ones, the Tumbling E and the Tumbling C, and then pediatric illiteracy charts, too, are good. The Tumbling E works best for us because it's easier for third world people to grasp which way are the arms of the E going. You have to, before you do their visual testing at 20 feet, take them to the chart and say, okay, show me which way the E's are going and make sure that they understand what the heck you're talking about. You want to be able to filter out before you ever start if it's an intelligence problem or a visual problem, and you have to kind of do some teaching, and then you take them back to 20 feet and uh, do the do the uh, eye exam with them. You have a pecocluder. Remember, if you just tell them to close one eye, they squint with the other, and so it makes their vision better, and so that's not what you want. You want them to have both eyes open and occlude it. You can do it with a card, or you can get these occluders. You can do a pinhole occluder, occlude one eye. Pinhole occluding is equivalent to the best you're going to get with glasses. Some people have early starts of cataract. You'll never get them to 2020, so 2030 maybe, if that's what they see pinhole, that's going to be your goal for glasses. Okay, materials. This is an autorefractor. It costs about 10000 bucks. It's really cool. You don't need to be a genius to use it. You point at the retina, pull a trigger, and it spits out the prescription of the person, which is really neat. The advantage is that you don't have to be a rocket science to use it. The disadvantage is that it's really expensive. Here is what you get when you go into an optometrist's office. It's a four-opter. The disadvantage is that it's expensive. It costs $2,500. It takes a real bulky stand, but it's a very good piece of equipment. Here, this I got for $500 off of eBay. It's a, it's a lens, trial lens set. You put these fake glasses on them, and you slide the lens in and out of the glasses, and that's good. The price point continues to come down. This is really a clever gizmo made by the Christians in the University of Houston College of Optometry. It's called a focometer. It's like a telephoto lens. The person turns the lens until it's in focus, and then you know what prescription of glasses they will wear. It's really brilliant. It doesn't have any electrical parts. It can't get out of calibration. It's really cool. The disadvantage is, is that you have to have eye-hand coordination to do it. If you get elderly people, if it's like looking through a tunnel. If you turn it to the side a little bit, all they'll see is black, and so you'll have an elderly people consistently saying, I don't see anything, it just looked black to me, and you don't know if they're like really not seeing well or if they don't have the eye-hand coordination to manage the device. Another way to do it is just get your positives and your negatives and half diopter instruments. You tie the positive one and the negative one, you see which one's better, and then you go up the row until they say, no, the one before it was better, and then they have the glasses that they need. Talk price points. You can go with shark eyes. Negatives cost uh, $2 a pair. Positives or reading glass cost $1 to $0.50 cents a pair, depending on if they're, if they're on sale or not. Peachtree Optical has a neater product. The, the shark eyes products are plastic lenses and plastic glasses. The Peachtree Optical, who's here at our brigade, have metal frames with hinges. That's a higher quality. And then they have lens that you can pop in. The advantage is that they have pediatric sizes, and if you have like a diopter difference, you don't have to give them the same prescription. You can put a, a plus two in one and a plus one in the other so that they can really see better. It gives you higher quality, but it's at a higher price point also. It's about $5. This is the coolest thing going for optometry, and this is like my only prop I have here. It's the eye test. This is like a four-opter, except it's cheap as dirt. It's $75, and you get it from Goodlight, and they have a, a clinic here. Basically, you go like this, and you turn this until they get to seeing where they can see best. And we only use this now. It's so cheap, and it's so good. It doesn't need a big, bulky stand, and it's just brilliant. So get one of these from Goodlight if you're doing optometry. 
I just tell you everything so that you know everything for completeness. And then I give you my recommendations. Places to get eyeglasses, recycled Lions Club eyeglasses, only shipping costs. If you use Lions Club glasses, categorize them according to the Kendall Optometry software. They have a little booth here. It's only $42. And you can have a database of where everything is because you have to have a lot of glasses. The disadvantage with Lions glasses is that they look ugly. They're big. They're used. And a lot of times people just won't use them because they're vain just like North Americans are. The new glasses you can get is Shark Eyes, which gets these knockoffs from China that are probably violating all sorts of copyrights. I can get, again, a $2 a pair for the negatives and $1 a pair or less for the positives. There's something called instant eyeglasses with in-focus, and they're round, and this is the only system that you can treat astigmatism with. They're perfectly round, and they have the stigmatism, and you carry sets of lenses, so you can get a, you know, a negative 2.5 with one diopter astigmatism at this degree. And then they have a scale, and you can put it at the 150 point, and then you lock it down. And it treats both the positive and the negative and the astigmatism. The disadvantage is that these glass, glasses are perfectly round and they look like Mr. Magoo glasses and they look really ugly. But if you can convince a person to wear them and they're expensive, $10 a pair. Again, Peachtree Optical is neat. They have uh, pediatric sizes, but it's up to $5 per pair. The goal is aesthetics, too. You not only want to give them the right kind of eyeglasses, you want to give them the right kind of eyeglasses that they will use. So give three sets and let them pick out the uh, best, prettiest uh, pair. I'm going to talk about best practices. Dental sharps. Use a plastic soda bottle, two-liter soda bottle. Put your plastic sharps in there. If you don't have medical incineration, the place you put them is in an open latrine. That's a latrine you look down and see the waste. That's the only place you can put stuff that you're guaranteed dogs and children won't get into your sharps. And when it fills up, they cap it with cement so it never gets into the circulation. Poisonous medicines like lice and scabies medicine. Give a knife to pharmacy. They cut out the bottom of the bottle. When you leave town, the most valuable stuff in town is your trash. Our bottles are the Tupperware container and the water bottles for the community after we leave. So you have to realize that. So cut the bottoms out of all of your poisonous stuff. And then another best practice is I have no programming for my team after 8 p.m. If you're exhausted, you get to go to bed. If you want to talk about your culture shock you're going through, you can do that. But don't wear your teams out. Again, in summary, do registration, evangelism, triage, medical, dental, optometry, pharmacy, if you have any questions, go to the MedMissions website. You have my prayer card here. You are welcome to call me anytime. I'm a penguin. I'm mate for life. So once you're my friend, you're always my friend. Just ask anybody. You can always call me and say, you may not know me, remember me, but I went to your talk and I want to do a medical brigade. I'm all about transmitting information. It's what my website's about. And I want to help you do things best with the best material at the cheapest price. Call me. I'll walk you through it. It's not rocket science. But I've done it over a decade, so I know a few things. Any questions before you run off to the plenary session? Thank you guys so much for coming.